Today's reading is from John chapter 4, verses 1 to 26, and it's page 862 of the Church Bible. Jesus talks with a Samaritan woman. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, said the woman, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, replied Jesus, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming, and has now come, when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshippers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, thank you very much, Suzanne. Hello, everyone. My name is Jonathan, and uh, 
I'm one of the ministers here at CSAC. Let us pray together before, shall we? Let's pray. Lord, as we just open your word, the living word, which can give living water, we pray that you would satisfy our thirst, that we would worship you in spirit and truth. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, as some of you might know, the Bible tells us that man doesn't live on bread alone, but on every every word that comes out of the mouth of the Lord. And in the book of John, the Gospel of John, uh, we learn that this word, the word of God, became flesh in Christ, the Messiah, the King promised in the Old Testament, who's coming into the world, introduced a new era, a bit like the internet has changed the way we live today. Something has changed when Jesus came. For instance, before, no one had seen God. But now, now, the one and only Son, who is himself God, has made him known. John chapter 1, verse 18. Jesus is indeed the new wine who brings the joy of an eternal salvation to whoever believes in him. He's, he's the new temple, the new place when you can meet God and have eternal life, enter God's kingdom, become one of his children. But the question is how? How can you become one of God's children? How can you enter his kingdom? How can you have eternal life? Well, that's what we saw last week, remember? By believing in the, in the Son, by putting our faith in Christ, John chapter 3, verse 36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life. For God's wrath remains on them. But now the question is, who, who can become children of God, one of God's children? Who can enter and see his kingdom? Who can have eternal life? And the answer is anyone, anyone, you and me. Uh, whether you're a moral and a religious leader like Nicodemus, do you remember John chapter 3? Or a moral and religious outcast like this Samaritan woman in chapter 4. And in this chapter, and that's the, the, the big idea of my talk today, in this chapter, at least in verse 1 to 26, I think Christ reveals that he is the Messiah by doing two things. By offering supernatural water from verse 1 to 15 and by offering supernatural knowledge from verse 16 to 26. So first, let's look at verse 1 to 15 together. Jesus reveals that he is the Messiah to a Samaritan woman and to us today by offering supernatural water After leaving Judea to go to Galilee, Jesus and his disciples come to a town in Samaria called Sishar, which is basically north of Jerusalem, if you look at the map. And it's about 12 noon uh, lunchtime. 
Jesus is tired, so he sits by a well, which is in fact Jacob's well. A religious place, which is really important for the Samaritans, it's a bit like the, the town of Lourdes in, in France for our Roman Catholic friends. It's a very important town for them. Jesus' disciples go into town to get some food when suddenly this woman appears. A Samaritan woman comes to draw water from the well and Jesus asks her to give him a drink. And did you notice how the woman responds? She's surprised because just like Carlton and Collingwood fans, Jews and Samaritans, they just do not associate with one another. They hate each other. They don't talk to each other. What's going on? But Jesus tells this woman, look at verse 10 with me. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would, ask, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. But the woman is still confused. Jesus asked her for a drink, remember? But now he's offering a drink to her. <laughs> What's going on? So she tells him, Sir, you've got nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Apparently, Jacob's well was between 30 and 50 meters deep. Are you greater than of a Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself? as did also his sons and his uh, livestock. Now, that's what we call a, a major misunderstanding. Jesus and the Samaritan woman are not really on the same wavele uh, wavelength. Jesus is not talking about physical water like Mount Franklin or Avian water, but about supernatural water, spiritual water, which is a symbol of what? I think it's a symbol of eternal life. Look at verse 13 and 14 with me. Jesus says, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And even if this woman still doesn't still... Uh, understand the spiritual nature of the water Jesus is offering, she would love to drink from it. Look at verse 15. Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. This woman must be keeping coming to draw water maybe every day at noon when it's hot. And she says to Jesus, if you've got that water, please give it to me because I'm fed up. But before giving her this water, the water Christ is talking about, Jesus wants this woman to understand why she's desperately, desperately needs it. And I hope what we're going to say in a few minutes will help you understand why Jesus says what he says. That's our second part. After offering spiritual, supernatural water, Jesus is going to offer supernatural knowledge. We might say prophetic insights. Look at verse 16. In this verse, Jesus says something which has apparently, seemingly, nothing to do with what come just before. What do you think? Go 
call your husband and come back. I mean, what does this have to do with anything we've seen so far? What is Jesus doing here? In the rest of his passage, I think that Jesus is offering a prophetic insight into the life of his woman in order to reveal to her who he is and why. Why this woman desperately, desperately needs the water he's offering her. This woman, this woman is basically living in what we might call a spiritual or a relational no man's land. She lives in a spiritual or relational desert. She admits that she has no husband, which is true, isn't it? But she can't hide from Jesus that she's had not one, not two, not three, not four, but five. Five husbands. And that the man she's now living with is not even her husband. When this woman realizes that Jesus knows everything she's done, that's what she says in verse 29. She's absolutely stunned. Imagine meeting someone who knows everything you've done in your life. How would you feel? Scared? And that's what she says, verse 19. Sir, I can see that you are a, a what? A prophet. A prophet. Now, do you understand why this woman needs the living water Christ is offering her? Do, do you understand why? This woman has had five husbands. Five. Which probably means that she's been abandoned forsaken, deserted five times by five successive men who probably divorced her. That was the, the law at the time. Only men could divorce. That's terrible, isn't it? Unless these men all died, which is not better. I mean, that's terrible. And in the, if this woman has been abandoned, forsaken, deserted. Can you imagine how she feels? How, how do you think she feels? Empty? Rejected? Hurt? Maybe ashamed? Maybe guilty? And you know, maybe that's why she comes to draw water at noon when there's nobody around. Why would she do that? Why? Well, maybe because she doesn't want to see anybody. Maybe because she's ashamed. Maybe because she's guilty. She feels guilty, sorry. Especially if the, if the man she's living with now is not her husband. Can you imagine the guilt? She knows deep down inside, that what she's doing is wrong in God's eyes. And maybe that's how you feel today, right now, this morning. Empty? Rejected? Maybe hurt? Maybe ashamed? 
maybe be guilty because of a, of a broken relationship with your spouse, with a member of your family, maybe with a good friend, maybe with a work colleague. If that's the case, I'm really sorry. I know how painful it can be. My, my parents were in the process of getting divorced uh, before my mom died. I was 13, my mom was 50. My parents were about to, getting, to, to get divorced. And it was just terrible. I felt broken. I felt empty. I felt hurt. I felt ashamed. Sometimes guilty. Was it my fault? We can ask you this question this morning. Which water do you drink from to satisfy your thirst, to relieve your anxiety, to be free from your shame and guilt? What do you do? You see, the Bible tells us that we've all abandoned, forsaken, deserted the Lord, our God, our Creator. We've all done it. And that we are now like broken cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. That's what the prophet Jeremiah tells us. Chapter 2, verse 13. We've all forsaken the Lord. And the message of the prophets, well, one of the messages is that we've all committed spiritual adultery by falling in love. Falling in love with other gods who promise so much and give us so little, such as sex, money, and power, just to name a few. But these gods will never satisfy. How much money is enough money, for instance? I don't know if you've come across Malcolm uh, Mugridge. Uh, Malcolm Mugridge was an, um, an English journalist who uh, used to work for the MI6, the Secret Intelligence Service, during the Second World War. And one day, do you know what happened to him? He became a Christian. That's great. And this is a, a, um, a short uh, section of his testimony. I'd love to read it for you. This is what he says. I may as suppose regard myself of past for being a relatively successful man. People occasionally stare at me in the streets. That's fame. I can fairly easily earn enough to qualify for admission to the highest slopes of the inland revenue. That's success. Furnished with money and a little fame, even the elderly, if they care to, may partake of trendy diversions. That's pleasure. Yet I say to you, and I beg you to believe me, multiply these tiny triumphs by a million. Add them all together. And they are nothing. Measured against one draught of that living water Christ offers to the spiritual thirsty, irrespective of who and what they are. If you're not a Christian today, irrespective of who you are and what you've done, the good news is that Christ is offering you the living water 
you need. Not only to be forgiven, but also to have eternal life. To enter God's kingdom, to become one of his children. To have a joy of knowing him. You see, by living the perfect life we could never live, and dying the death we deserve in our place, Jesus offers the living water of eternal salvation to whoever, whoever believes in him. Are you going to accept or reject that offer? But if you already put your trust in Christ, if you're already a Christian, I wonder, I wonder what you do when you feel exactly the same as this woman, empty, rejected, hurt, ashamed, or even guilty. If you've got kids, if you've got children, I wonder how you teach them to deal with these feelings they might experience today. These feelings that they might experience one day when they come back from school because they feel rejected in the classroom. What will you do? What will you say to them? To help them? What do you do yourself? Do you bottle up? Or do you cast all your anxiety on Christ because he cares for you? Because he loves you? Because he knows everything you've done, everything I've done. And that's not pretty. Everything about you. Do you keep it for yourself or do you share your burden with someone you trust? Or maybe someone in your discipleship group. Or maybe the group, if you think that's appropriate. If, he, if you're not part of a discipleship group, can I encourage you to join one? To sh sh share your life with others. To encourage and to be encouraged. To bless and to bless others. To share your burdens. If you're part of the same family, if you're part of the same temple, if you're part of the same body, are we not supposed to share our life together? When it's appropriate, of course, to do so. Why don't you confess your sins to God and maybe to one another? The good news is that if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just. He will forgive us our sins. And that's what the Samaritan should have done. Don't you think? She should have humbly recognized that she's, she, she was living in a spiritual and relational no-man's land. D don't you think so? And crawl to Christ for the forgiveness of her sin, but also for the, to ease her pain, to relieve her from her anxiety. That's what she should have done. That's what she could have done. But she does, completely, she does something completely different. That's, look at verse 20. Our ancestor worshipped on this mountain. In fact, uh, the Samaritans didn't worship God in the Jerusalem temple, but in Mount Gerizim, another place. But you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is Jerusalem. Now you might think, what does this have to, anything to do with what comes just before? That's of a page. No, I don't think so. I think this woman is really clever, actually. I don't think this woman necessarily is necessarily trained, you know, to, to distract Jesus, to get off the hook. Oops, I've been caught red-handed. Uh, what can I do to get off the hook? I might talk about a theological issue instead of talking about my personal life. Easy way out. I don't think so, personally. I think this woman is very insightful. I think she just wants to make the most 
of Jesus' supernatural knowledge. She's a religious woman. She's a Samaritan. I think she wants to make the most of Christ's prophetic insight into her life to pick his brain on a major theological debate at the time, namely, where is God to be worshipped? Is God to be worshipped in Jerusalem or on Mangerizim? In other words, hey, Jesus, I can see you're a prophet. Now, tell me, what do you think about this debate? It's a bit as if Don Carson or Tim Keller were at church this morning. How great that would be. Oh. If you had the chance to talk to them over morning tea, maybe you would like to uh, ask what they think about, I don't know, spiritual gifts, speaking in tongues, baptism, eschatology, the doctrine of the end times. Maybe you'd like to ask them what they think about alcohol, about smoking, about tattoos. Well, maybe not about tattoos. Do you know what I mean? In the same way, I think this woman understands that Jesus is a prophet. I'm not saying she understands fully who he is, but she understands that this guy is a prophet. And she just wants to have his insight into the situation. And what's absolutely amazing, absolutely and remarkable about Christ's response is that as a prophet who knows the past, he knows the past, doesn't he? He knows everything about the past of this woman. Well, as a prophet, he knows the future. And he's going to reveal the future to this lady. That's what the prophet does, among other things. Look at verse 21 and 24 with me. And notice all the verbs in the future on the near future tense. I've counted three. Woman, says Jesus. Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshippers must worship him in the Spirit and his truth. Do you understand what Jesus is saying? He's a prophet indeed. He knows the past. He knows the future. He reveals to this woman what is going to happen? And nothing is predicting, but his time, his hour, uh, the time of his death, resurrection and exaltation will radically change how we must worship God. Not just how we sing on Sunday morning, which is, a, which is great, by the way, uh, but how we can glorify God, honor him, praising him by trusting and obeying him every single day of our lives. And you see, when this time comes, when Jesus dies, rises again from the dead, and ascends into heaven, he will, what will he do? He will send his spirit. He will send his spirit, which will make it possible for everyone, you and me, to worship the Father everywhere. In Australia, in Singapore, and even back home in France. In the spirit and truth at all times. In the spirit, because Christ gives the spirit to whoever believes in him. And, and if you've put your trust in him, Christ's spirit lives in you. In the spirit, because Christ gives his spirit to whoever believes in him. And that's how we can relate to God, isn't it? If God is spirit... 
How can we relate to him? Well, spiritually. And in truth, because God revealed the truth to us in his son, with himself, the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. That's the kind of worshippers God is looking for. And I'm wondering, are you one of them? If so, what kind of worshipper are you? Do you worship? Do you pray, for instance, uh, only when you need help? A bit like when you go to the doctor? Or at all times and in all circumstances, whether you feel like it or not. The good news is that because God is spirit, his presence is not limited to a town, a place, a temple, or a church. Because God is everywhere, a bit like Wi-Fi, you can get connected to the God network. Anywhere, I mean, when there's coverage. That's why the Wi-Fi illustration is not perfect. But God is perfect, and he's omnipresent. You can worship him, praise him, cast your anxieties on him, wherever you are, at home, at uni or at work, whether you're sick or as fit as a fiddle. And you know what? On top of that, it's completely free. Completely free. Why don't you make the most of it today, this week? You see, now that Jesus has come, that's the kind of worshiper God is looking for. But the Samaritan, to finish, uh, doesn't seem to understand fully who Jesus is. She knows she's a prophet, but at this stage, she hasn't really realized who she was. She will say later, maybe this guy is the Messiah, which he is. But at this stage, she hasn't fully understood. That's why she puts off until later what she can do now. Look at verse 25. I know the Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. But Jesus tells her, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. So what are you waiting for? Now is the time to worship. Let's pray to finish. We can keep reflecting in the secret of our hearts and let the Spirit of God speak to us through the Word of God to help us make the will of God. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your Son, the Lord Jesus, who offered living water, supernatural water, and supernatural knowledge, prophetic insights into the life of this woman. By the power of your Spirit who lives in us, enable us to drink from this water every day of our lives, to satisfy our thirst, to relieve our anxiety, to ease our pain, to deliver, deliver us from shame or guilt, and to worship you in spirit and truth. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.